Well, glory to God. We're going to be taking a look at a story here today that I know you all know, but we don't cover a whole lot, probably because everybody knows this story so well. Joshua chapter 6. Last week we were looking at the pillar of cloud and fire, and we saw that there are boundaries that we are given in the Word of God. Some of those boundaries are fixed. Some of those boundaries move. The pillar was a moving boundary. Wherever it moved to is where the children of Israel were supposed to go to, but they had to stay where it was. If they were not where the pillar was, they were in the wrong spot. And we saw what had happened with the crossing of the Red Sea. Well, we're staying with Israel, and we're just kind of, you know, just getting our feet wet in this series because we have some things that are coming up on this that uh, that will help you out. We've got a couple of stories. We're going to talk to you about fasting down here in the road, where that comes into play. Um, a number of stories will show you some things in your own in your own faith. Do you know that sometimes you have prayed outside of what your boundaries are and it's why you have failed? And just understand this, my boundaries are not your boundaries and your boundaries are not mine. There are some boundaries that move. And so we're going to show you this in the Word of God because it's all in there. And uh, for right now, we're going to look at Joshua chapter 6. Joshua chapter 6 and we're going to be over in the first verse. We're going to cover the whole chapter. We call this blueprints. No one would build a large building Without having a blueprint. Isn't that right? Your blueprint, that's your detailed plans. It tells you all the things you got to do. But many people will try and obey God or follow the will of God and wing it. Do you know you should have a blueprint? You should know exactly what you are supposed to do. But most people, when it comes to the things of God, just wing it. We're going to see here a blueprint in Joshua chapter 6. Now Joshua, uh, Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand, its king and the mighty men of valor. Now we all know the story of Jericho. We know the walls come down, right? So I want you to close your eyes for just a minute. I want you to picture Jericho as you know it. I want you to picture Jericho. Children of Israel all coming around, walking around the, 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 build, the, the walls there. I want you to picture it as you know it. How many of you see towering high walls and millions of people walking around? Don't raise your hand. For the most part, the picture we have of Jericho is not the right one. Have you ever seen that movie, uh, the, the one with the Trojan horse? I forget what they called it. And they come up to the city of Troy. And you see, remember the walls in the city of Troy and how big they were? And then sometimes, you know, the Word of God talks about some walled cities and how they could drive chariots over the over the walls. And sometimes we think about Jericho, these towering high walls and this huge city. The city of Philadelphia, I wrote down some notes on this so that we would, we would know, is um, 143 square miles, specifically 142.6, but I rounded it up just, you know, but for all you folks that want to be exact, there are 640 acres in a square mile, which would give the city of Philadelphia 91,520 acres, square acres, would be the, uh, well, I'm sorry, would be the acreage of, uh, of Philadelphia. That's a pretty large city. Jericho is not that big. If you take something from inside the city of Philadelphia, I'd pick something like this, Fairmount Park. You know, Fairmount Park has an acreage of 2,052. 2,052. Longwood Gardens. How many have ever been to Longwood Gardens? Longwood Gardens just is just over 1,000 acres. These are all too large. 
the city of Jericho is not that big. The city of Jericho, as they look at the, the ancient ruins in the area that is there, are you ready for this number? The city of Jericho is between six and nine acres. Now, how many of you, that is smaller than you were thinking? Nine acres if you take the wall. Now, as for the wall being towering high, you know, we have some of the, I put on your bulletin cover, uh, those are some of the um, ruins of the city of Jericho. And just to try and get you this, this picture of what nine acres is, um, one acre is slightly less than 91 yards on a football field. That is the size of one acre. If you take the entire football field plus the end zones, you have 1.32 acres. So if you were to get a 10 acre area, you're looking at about seven and a half football fields, which is still bigger than Jericho. I got these uh, numbers for you. Uh, one square mile, I told you, is 640 acres. That means a quarter of a square mile. I'm sorry, that means um, uh, if you take uh, a half mile by a half mile, reduce it down, you got 160 acres. If you reduce it down again to a quarter mile by a quarter mile, you would have 40 acres. One quarter mile by one quarter mile is 40 acres. The area that we're looking at here, just under 10 acres, is about one-eighth of a mile by one-eighth of a mile. So if you were to take a track, how many of you know what a track looks like? You know, a little, little quarter-mile track? Cut that in half, straighten it out. That's an eighth of a mile. And then have it go the other way and all the way around. That's the size of Jericho. If you've ever thought that these folks were getting, getting up and walking around this city for an hour or two and then coming on back to camp, Sometimes we just get that. It takes about 10 minutes to walk around Jericho. Maybe 15. So, let's get it all in perspective what this, what this is like. Jericho is not a super huge, imposing city, but it was an important city. And it was one that the, the Lord brought them to, to to take care of first. The dimensions of the wall are approximately five to six and a half feet thick they are about 12 to 17 feet tall they have towers on those walls that would shoot up to 28 feet now if you have a wall that is 12 feet high what do you need to get over it you ever watch those movies where the marines or the navy people or army people are training and they've got that wall, what do they use to get over it? Nothing. <laughs> they just, they have, they have ways to jump on there, they grab hold of something, they pull themselves up and they get themselves over the, over the wall. You are not looking at an imposing wall. You are looking at a 12 to 17 foot wall. If it's 17 foot, you might need a little help to get over, over top of that. But God is not telling them to scale the wall, is He? He's not telling them to knock down the wall. They, they tell us, archaeologists will tell you this, Jericho is the oldest city in the world that we have uncovered with a wall. 
So the wall on Jericho is one of the earliest walls of a walled city. It's not made with all the high-tech stuff that they had. In fact, it is called, I think I wrote the terminology down, they called it undressed stones. What undressed stones is, is they basically stacked them up together. Sometimes they would put mortar over top of it, but not always. They would just stack the stones up together. And this uh, this made the wall. Now, how many, that's a different picture of Jericho than you were thinking. (laughs) Now, we're not saying this to take away from the miracle. The miracle is, is just as great as it was before, but I want you to get an idea of what this city is. When they went out to walk around the city, they only went out for 10 or 15 minutes. But Jericho has a strategic importance. And specifically, Jericho and Ai. Because if you could take those two areas, you could effectively split a good bit of the promised land into two. Just because of the, the way things worked in, in that day. So, this is what they were up against. God wanted to take on Jericho first, which was the bigger, more imposing of the cities. And uh, it's estimated that Jericho has about a million people. And the, and the people. Now you wonder, how does a million people live inside of an area of nine acres? Well, they didn't live inside the city of nine acres. They lived in the villages all around Jericho. And when threats would come is when you would retreat and go into the, into the walled city. But generally, you were living outside of, of that area. That's how most of these, these places worked. And you just have the walled city for the times of protection because it was pretty tough for them to make, make the walls that they needed for the protection. So let's go on here to, to be verse 2. Let's take a look at it again, it again. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand, its king and the mighty men of valor. What are they supposed to see? They brought Israel to a walled city, which for that day, these are big walls. And they are an obstacle because you have to get over those walls while people are in the tower shooting at you. So they brought them to this walled city that's all shut up tight and everybody's inside. And God says, see, I've given it to you. What are you supposed to see? I mean, really, what is what does God expect them to see here? And I was thinking about that. See, I have given Jericho into your hand. It's king and the mighty men of valor. And I began to think about this. You know, see what? And I wrote this note down for you. What do you see when you look at your walled city? Because we all have a Jericho. We all have some things in our life that are walled. Uh, there is there is a barrier between us and it. We We know God wants us to have this. I know God wants me to get there, but there's a barrier. So what do you see when you see your walled city? Do you see a walled city? Or do you see God giving you the victory? See, a lot of people won't get past the walled city. They look and they see walled city. All right, let's wait for God to do something. But God brings them up to the walled city and says, See. Now, most of us are going to be saying, I'm ready, Lord, show me. And God says, no, look, see. 
I'm ready. Show it to me. <laughs> am I looking at some angels? Am I, am I looking at, uh, you know, some, some miraculous? What, what am I looking at here? But all they did was they came up to a walled city. There was nothing that was done. But he says, see, I have given Jericho into your hand, its king and the mighty men of valor. We need to be able to get ourselves to the place that we walk up to a walled city with nothing changed and it's on total defense against you and say, see, I see it. This is mine. He says, I have given it to you. Just because God gave it to them didn't mean there wasn't some fight left. These folks got some fight left. They're ready for, they're ready for a fight. You shall march around the city, all you men of war. You shall go all around the city once. This year you shall do for six days. And seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. So come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and you hear the sound of a trumpet, of the trumpet, that all the people shall shout with a great shout, then the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up every man straight before him. So here's their, here's their blueprint on how to win. God gave them a detailed outline, a plan of action. I put that uh, definition. That definition just came right from blueprint. A detailed outline or a plan of action. And God gave it to them. Here's what I want you to do. Now, when you think of Jericho, how many of you thought that all the children of Israel walked around the wall? It's not. It's the men of war. Seven priests who bore trumpets and the priests who carried the ark. The rest of the people stayed back. They would get up and they would do this. That's all God told them to, to bring. But he gave them very, very specific ones. The men of war and Joshua, the priests that were outlined with the Ark of the Covenant, and they would do this once a day for six days. On the seventh day, it would be starting out the same as the others. But here there would be a particular blast of, of trumpets because apparently the trumpets were blown each day. Joshua had that done. But there was something different about the blast of the trumpets on the, on the final one. And that would signal to them all to shout. Verse 6, Then Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Proceed and march around the city and let him who was armed advance before the Ark of the, of the Lord. Now see, sometimes I think people read that and they see, He said to the people, We think all the people did this. But he said to the people who were in the group, the group was the soldiers, the men of war, the seven priests that bore the trumpets, the priests that would bear the ark. These are the ones that would go. So he said to those people, proceed and march around the city. Let him who was armed advance before the ark of the Lord. And so it was when Joshua had spoken to the people that the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord advanced and blew the trumpets and the ark of the covenant of the Lord followed them. And the armed men went before the priests who blew the trumpets and the rear guard came after the ark while the priests continued blowing the trumpets. Now Joshua had commanded the people saying, you shall not shout or make any noise with your voice nor shall you a word proceed out of your mouth until the day I say to you, shout. Then you shall, then you shall shout. Now we don't hear that in the instructions from God. 
it would seem that Joshua either got them or he added them. But either way, it didn't seem like there was a problem with it. But he just, uh, you know, you basically, if you don't open your mouth, you're better off than if you did. So he just told them to keep their mouth shut and either God instructed them on that or he just decided to do this because he knows what people can do when they start opening their mouth. Not exactly sure which way that, that was, but anyway, that's what they were told. So he had the ark of the Lord circle the city going around it once. And they came into the camp and lodged in the camp. And Joshua rose early in the morning and the priest took up the ark of the Lord. And then seven priests bearing seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord went on continually and blew with the trumpets. And the armed men went before them. But the rear guard came up after the Lord while the priest continued blowing the trumpets. And the second day they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. So they did six days, but it came to pass on the seventh day that they rose early about the dawning of the day and marched around the city seven times in the same manner. On that day, they marched around the city seven times and the seventh time it happened when the priest blew the trumpets, the Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Now the first day they did this, it says that they rose early. Then it says they continued this for the other days for the sixth. Then it said on the seventh day that they rose early about the dawning of the day. It was seen that each day they rose up early to do this. But on that particular day, the, the seventh day, they rose up early and mentions the dawning of the day. But can you imagine doing this? It, it probably takes them longer to get ready to march than to march. Can you imagine getting all the men of war with all their stuff and then setting the ark up on the poles like they had to do and then getting the trumpets ready and then getting everybody lined up where they're supposed to be and then putting them on out there. I mean, you could take you an hour to get everybody lined up for a 10-minute walk. And then you get done, you got to undo all that stuff. Can you see that the possibility was there for people to complain? Why do we got to do this every day? Why don't we just march around it six times right now while we got it all done and we'll wait for the seventh day and then we'll go out there and do it again? You can see that people will come up with a shortcut, can't you? But that's not what they're supposed to do. Every day. It seemed that every day they did this early in the morning. So that on the seventh day, it probably wasn't any spectacular thing when they were coming out. They knew something was going to be different. But as far as Jericho knew, this is what they've been doing each day. They weren't necessarily ready for anything more than they had seen the other days. But here it was on the seventh time, they, they marched around a second time. Now I'm sure that the people in Jericho saw that and they said, wait a minute, they didn't stop. They're, they're still going. And then they're still going again. Hey, today is different. What is different about today? And then a fourth time. And then a fifth time. And then a sixth time around. And then a seventh time around. I'm sure that they were probably counting how many times the Ark of the Covenant passed them. So if it takes about 10-15 minutes to walk around the city and they're going to walk around it seven times now, you're only looking at what? Hour and a half? <laughs> Hour and 45 minutes? You're around. And then on the particular blowing of the trumpet, he told them all to shout. In verse 17, Now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction, it and all who are in it. Only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all who are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. And you, by all means, abstain from the accursed things, lest you become accursed when you take of the accursed things. 
and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. But all the silver and gold, vessels of bronze and iron, are consecrated to the Lord, and they shall come into the treasury of the Lord. So we had the, the blueprint for the first part of this, and that was the march. And in that march, it was to be all the men of war. All of them. None of them were supposed to be left behind. All the men of war. Remember when they go out to Ai next, they leave some of the men of war behind. But here on this march, every day, all the men of war are to go. There's no excuses. I'm not feeling well today. I was up late last night. None of that. All the men of war are going out. And so they followed it. The priests are to go with the ark. The trumpets. All these things are to go. March around one time. That's it. Just one time, go back to camp. And Joshua gave him the command, don't talk. Don't say anything. And so that's what they did. Then he gives them these. He says, first off, the city is doomed to destruction. These are the the instructions for the battle. Only Rahab and those that are with her are saved. Don't take the stuff. Don't take the stuff. The stuff is the use of the word accursed. It basically is dedicated to God. Because it's dedicated to God, no one else is supposed to take it. You've uh, probably heard the, the terminology before. But this same word is what is used of the tithe. The tithe is dedicated to God. If you take partake of the tithe, you bring that same curse upon the 90% that is left. That's why God, the, the warnings are in the Word of God about that. But here, God says, every bit of what's in this city is mine. I'm taking it all. You're going to have some other ones, but this is all mine. Don't touch it. Don't take any of the stuff. All that stuff goes into the treasury for the Lord. So the people shouted when the priests blew the trumpets and it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet and the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat. That is something. It just, nobody's touching it. This wall has stood up for a long, long time. Long, long time. This is an old city. This is probably one of the oldest cities that we know of in the Word of God. And this wall has stood the test of all this time. Hundreds, probably thousands of years, this wall has been there. Hasn't gone anywhere. But it just happens. On the seventh day, after the seventh time around, that the wall falls flat. And if it was a towering high wall, you could see where maybe, you know, it could... could, tip over and and fall but it's not a towering high wall 12 to 17 feet and it's wide enough that it really doesn't tip over all that easy but it's not going to just tip over because the the rock formations are such as they're not attached with each other it'd be very easy for maybe one section to fall apart or a few of the stones to fall out of the one section but that wouldn't cause a chain reaction because of the way this this wall is made the only way that all of the stones follow one time is if God has his hand on the whole thing and he pushes or he disturbs it. He knocks it down. It's the only way it goes all at once because they're not hitting it. They're not using any ramming rods or anything at all to, to attack it. They just walked around and now they're just shouting. And when they obeyed, the wall fell down flat 
And the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. And they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, ox and sheep and donkey, with the edge of the sword. They killed, they killed everything that was in there, because that's what God had said to do. This, uh, they, they particularly worshipped a, a God that Israel would later on have trouble with. Because they didn't wipe it all out the way they were supposed to. But this particular city they did. It was the men of war that are there, that are there surrounding the city and they're the ones who go in and they're the ones who, who do the killing. The rest of the folks are back at the camp. They may have engaged in the shouting. They may have shouted when uh, the shouting was going on. But they didn't engage in the fighting. The fighting was uh, left for the men of war. Verse 22, But Joshua had said to the two men who spied out the country, Go into the harlot's house, and from there bring out the woman and all that she has, as you swore to her. And the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her brothers, and all that she had. So they brought out all her relatives and left them outside the camp of Israel. But they burned the city and all that was in it with fire. Only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. And Joshua spared Rahab the harlot, her father's household, and all that she had. So she dwells in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. So here's what they did. They had what they were supposed to do. These are not complicated instructions. Who was supposed to go in front? Who was supposed to go next? And who was supposed to go in the end? All that is laid out. What they're supposed to do as they're walking around is all laid out. So they can basically just write it down on a card. All right, I go here. Walk around one time. Go back to camp. If you're a priest, you got some trumpet blowing to do. Or you got some uh, ark carrying to do. Not all the priests went. Just some of the priests who were involved in the in the trumpets or the ark. Because the men of war didn't do those. That was for the priests to do. And then when they went in, they, they conquered the place. What were their instructions? If it breathes, kill it. If it burns, burn it. If it's gold, silver, bronze, give it to God. So, I mean, that's pretty simple instructions, isn't it? If it breathes, kill it. If it burns, burn it. Then it's valuable, bring it to God. That's all you got to do. So that's pretty simple. You would think most people could get that. Then Joshua charged them at the time, saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord who rises up and builds this city Jericho. He shall lay its foundation with his firstborn, and with his youngest he shall set up its gates. You don't often hear of this kind of a uh, curse being put upon a city. But God told Joshua, I want you to, to announce this curse upon this city. First off, I guess because God knew someone was going to try and rebuild it. And then, um, secondly, because apparently this city was of such an evil statue, he did not want it rebuilt. In First Kings chapter 16, verse 34, in the days of Hiel of Bethel, uh, built Jericho. I'm sorry, in his days, this is the days of Ahab. In the days of Ahab, Hiel of Bethel built Jericho. He laid its foundation with Abiram, his firstborn, and with his youngest son, Segub, he set up its gates according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken through Joshua, the son of Nun. 
Now this is during Ahab. You all know that Ahab was a bad king. What you may not also know is that Ahab is a king in the north. Jericho. Anybody know what territory that's in? It's in the territory of Benjamin. Benjamin is in the southern kingdom. So how does Ahab have influence over an area in Benjamin? Apparently, at some point, they came and they took this area. This is the area of Bethel. Uh, the area of Benjamin, if you, I'll just give you this, I think I gave you the reference in your, in your uh, outline, Joshua 18, 11 through 13. If you want to read the whole thing, that's Benjamin's border. Verse 13 goes this way, the border went over from there towards Luz to the side of Luz, which is Bethel, southward and the border ascended to Ataroth, Adar, near the hill that lies on the south side of lower Beth Heron. So Benjamin's border went up into that area. The territory of Jericho belongs to Benjamin. Benjamin is in the area of Judah. Ahab is king of Israel. It would seem that during the time or during the reign of Basha, king of Israel, that some of the fighting that had gone on, he took part of this territory and probably took the area of Jericho. Since it was in his possession at the time, Ahab seemed to have been very influential in getting Jericho to be rebuilt and persuaded this man to build it. This man may have said, what about the curse? Because they all knew about these these things. Or else uh, maybe they just didn't teach it and they forgot it. But anyway, when uh, this this curse came about, firstborn died when they built its foundation. He paid a dear price for, for doing this. Now, God didn't say it wouldn't be built. He said the person who builds it, this is what will happen. So his firstborn was was lost and his youngest was lost as they did this. Uh, verse 27, So the Lord was with Joshua and his fame spread throughout all the county, all the country. So everybody's beginning to know about Joshua and that's okay. Joshua, I don't think, cares that anybody knows about him. But um, you do the things of, of God, people will get to know about you. Then we come to verse 1 of chapter 7. But the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed things for Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed things, so the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. Now, who stole stuff? Achan. Who's God mad with? Isn't that interesting? One guy did it, but God's mad with all of them. Remember Jesus makes that quote that the, uh, the, the fathers eat the grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge? Remember that, that verse being quoted? There, there's a, there was a feeling in here that you are responsible for the sins of your fathers. The, the ones that had gone on before, before that. And don't think that's anything new that is going on in, in today's society. In fact, it's a lot more ingrained than may, we may think of it. If any of this ever work, uh, you wonder about it. If you ever wonder about this, this type of thing, where it might be, and it is very prevalent in our society. I'll show you some things. We're going to get into this on Wednesday night because Ezekiel chapter 18 is where this proverb comes from. And he deals, the entire prophecy is dealing with the sins of the fathers should it come upon the sons. 
the entire uh, chapter is there. So we're going to take that on on Wednesday, so we're not going to take that on today. But if that's something of interest to you, come on out on Wednesday or tune in on Facebook and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get into that there. But it is something that you ought to know about because there's some things that are being done in this country along these lines and you need to be on defense with it. Otherwise, it works its way in. But here, Achan, the son of Carmi, his sin came upon all the rest of Israel. Now, we're not going to read the rest of chapter 7. If you want to, you can go on home and read chapter 7. Don't read it now. <laughs> go on home and you can read that later on. But I'll just give you the, the synopsis of this. They went over to Ai, which was basically a village in comparison to, to this city. Didn't hold a candle to it, even smaller. We think, you know, uh, nine acres is small. AI is even smaller, and uh, not even this kind of a wall. They, we don't even need everybody. They just send a few people over there and take care of it. And they lost the battle, not because they took it lightly. They lost the battle because they were sent in the camp. Now, the reason that this was so much different and why the, the children of Israel suffered the consequences of what one man did was this was a command given to the congregation as a whole. We don't always get to see that anymore because we, we are always so individual. But this was one nation and they were all given a command by God. And they, they violated it. They probably should have done a little bit more to check with everybody and make sure that this hadn't gone on. But they didn't. Probably in hindsight, they would have looked back and said, you know what, we should, probably should have done some checking. Ask God. God, did we do okay? And God would have told them, no. Somebody stole some stuff. Go get it. And the rest of chapter 7, you know, they, they cast lots and they figure out who it was and God chose them, the, the person. They didn't come clean on their own. They, uh, they got pointed out. But he said they, they considered or they committed a trespass against the Lord. They went against the things that he was supposed to do and so they couldn't stand on their, against the army. Because on this one, Joshua, when he comes to God after they lose the battle to Ai, he comes to God and says, what did you do? Bring us out here so that we can all perish? <laughs> That's what Joshua does. That's not so good when your leader's coming up there saying that sort of thing. And so God says, what are you doing crying? Get up. <laughs> He's not very patient with them. Get up. Israel has sinned. Now get out there and clean up the sin. Or, it's, or you're not going anywhere. And so he got up, cleaned up the sin, then he went in and took care of Ai. And um, it's a actually it spans over two chapters, seven and eight. Eight is the victory. Seven is dealing with the sin. But we said all that to get to this this part right here. Has God given you a blueprint? If God's given you a blueprint, have you made it clear? But now the most people have been given a blueprint on what they are supposed to do for their situation. And most people treat it very lightly. What you will find when you get a blueprint from God, as these, these folks did, you could put another terminology on this, and that is, they have boundaries. Joshua, this is, this is where you are to operate. You are to operate by taking only the men of war and the priests that I've outlined. And they are to make one trip around. Not two. 
not a half of one. They were to make one trip around, and then they were to come back in the camp. And you were to do that for six days. And they got up early, and they did it. If you, if all you have to do is one march around the city for ten times, how many of you, on some morning, can we just do it a little bit later today? I feel like getting up that early. I mean, it's like 10 minutes, we're done. But they, they kept that up. They followed it as God had gave them to do. It was important. And they followed it to the, to the letter. If you look in the Old Testament, in the way that they treated the sacrifices, the way they had the feasts, the way the priests were supposed to operate, the way the priests were supposed to dress, it's all listed. The priest will wear this, this type of clothing. They will have jewels in these particular places. These are the jewels I want on their garments. And it was all laid out exactly how it was supposed to be. The sacrifice for the atonement, they knew exactly when that was supposed to happen. There was a blueprint for it. When the, the nations split apart, and the northern tribe went one way and the southern tribe went another. The northern tribe decided to leave the blueprint that God had laid out. And God was not happy with that. And Jeroboam made priests out of every class of people. And he made feast days of his own making. Whatever he wanted to do. They left the blueprint. See, God has given you a blueprint. Not everybody thinks about these and we surely do not like the idea of restrictions how many of you like to think that God gives you restrictions most of us like to think of I am free in Jesus glory to God <laughs> I am not in any of that bondage that I was in before I am free I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me nothing shall be impossible Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. You see, these are the verses we like. We like these ones. We don't like anything that talks about boundaries. And yet God constantly gave them boundaries. These are the boundaries for your promised land. These are your boundaries for how you operate. This is your boundaries for where you're supposed to be. Wherever the pillar is, that's where you're supposed to be. Because you see, when we have these boundaries, it constantly tests our obedience. God is more interested in our obedience than anything else. But you see, the, the enemy likes to get you out of the area of obedience and into what he calls freedom. And that's not something that we're supposed to be supposed to be doing. But I'll tell you this, anything that you are asking God for, he will give you boundaries with which to operate. Areas for your, your scope of operation. The enemy will try and confuse those areas of operation. He will try and confuse those boundaries. And he will try and get you to move out. Wherever it is that God has said you're supposed to be, he will try and get you to go into another spot. That's what he, that's what he's out to do. We were talking about, you know, just even, um, brought up the idea of dating last, Last time, and you know, I, I, I didn't, do, I didn't find the, the the handful of girls that I had had uh, dating, and I was young. I didn't find them all at church. I found some at work. God led me to um, 
you know, different different places to work or different places to go. Um, but I was in a in a school of almost fifteen hundred students. I didn't date a single girl from that school in all the years I was out there. Not a sing, didn't even go on one single date. Fifteen hundred students in that school. My class had about four hundred and fifty. Now, out of 450, how many saved girls do you think there were in that class? For public school, Upper Moreland High School, 450 seniors. Now, I'm not counting the juniors and the, you know, the other ones, just in my class senior. When I was a junior, of course, there was about the same number of people. That's how many people were in there. And uh, how many saved people do you think were there? Well, I will tell you this. I went through three years of school. I carried my bright yellow and orange Bible on top of all my books from the ninth grade through the twelfth grade, four years straight. I did not ever leave it at home. I did not ever leave it in my locker. It was always with me. It was bright. It could be seen. And I was known as the kid who carried the Bible. I came into a lot of persecution. There was fear of going into the, into the restrooms. I was beat up. I was abused, I was teased, you name it. I was followed on my way home from school. There was all kinds of stuff that went, but I still carried it. During, the, during those three years in high school, three years in high school, one person identified themselves to me as a Christian. One. It was a girl. She was a class ahead of me. But never even didn't think about dating her. <laughs> one person. Doesn't matter how many people you are around. See, sometimes the devil will try and get you, will get out to where there's, there's this. You just follow after God. You remember when, when Samuel had to find a new king? Where'd he send him? Send him over to Jesse. Get his sons. How many sons did he have? They had eight. Brought seven. And, uh, no, it's not these guys. You got another one? Don't ever put God into a box. Don't ever feel like you have to try and make it easier for God. You, you don't. I've given you these stories before, but if you're going out to find a job, the idea is get as many applications out there as you as you can. You only need to apply to the one that God has has. Uh, that's really all that you need to do. And uh, you know, when I was in college, I, I shared this story with you before. Or I'm sorry, when I was in high school, my counselor wanted me to apply to multiple colleges, and I applied to one. They were not very pleased that I applied to one, but you see, I was learning how to follow my spirit. And uh, as uh, I had gone to the, the King's College, and when I went through there, I didn't like it. It was old. I didn't like it. But it came up my spirit, that's where you're going to go to college. So I accepted it. Okay. And so when I put the application in, I only put the application in King's College. That's it. I didn't put it anyplace else. And my counselor said, well, it's great. You know, if they accept you, then you just go there. But it's a good idea, you know, put an application in other places. And how many know that sounds like good wisdom? except I was working to develop something. I said, nope, I just need to do the, the one. And they were not happy with me at all. 
And when they came back, it wasn't like, man, you followed after God. It was like, man, you just got lucky. <laughs> when I was applying for a job, when I went down to Tulsa, brand new in, this, in the city, never been there, had to find a place that was walk, walking distance. I had three places I was going to apply to. Walked into the first place, put in an application, the manager's not there. He said, oh, you can come on back. I was walking over to the second place and this came up in my spirit. Why bother going anyplace else? That's where you're going to work. So I turned around and went home. Why in the world waste time? And so I went back a second time. I think it was the third time I finally got back there, saw the manager. He hired me on the spot and I had a job. <laughs> Don't follow what the world tells you to do. Follow what your spirit tells you to do. And this is what we need to learn. It was important lessons for me to learn back then and I still had to learn it. Now, it, it would not have hurt if I went over to, say I went over to Ken's Pizza and that's where I put the first application and I'm walking over to Skaggs Alpha Beta. Anybody ever heard of them? Skaggs Alpha Beta, I think uh, Skaggs bought Alpha or something like that and they joined, joined them together or whatever it was. So when I was there, it was Skaggs, Skaggs Alpha Beta. And I was walking over there putting an application in. Never got there. Didn't, didn't need to. And the uh, Lord taught me a lot of things I needed to learn when I was working there at that pizza place and doing things I may not have learned over at Skaggs Alphabet. And I need to, to learn those things. So you follow after your spirit on that. But see, we're not always, we're not always one that are ready to, to listen and to follow. But these are things we have to do. Very often we'll follow excuses. So I put this in your outline. Are you following it, the blueprint, or the excuses? Because we like to follow excuses and we can find them. We can find them. I wrote in your outline here, are you having aching moments? Are you having moments where, oh, but I'll just take this. I'll just do this a little bit different. I know God said to do this, but I'll just do... You're having an aching moment. We don't want to have those. Answers are not just about how we pray but also how we obey. Answers are not just about how we pray. It's also about how we obey. Now, one of the things I learned from, uh, from years, and that's what I told you in teaching this series to you, uh, God kind of slapped me upside the face because I do this all the time. I do it. It's so second nature to me. I don't think about it. I just do it. And God says, you do it, but you don't teach it. So, I'm, I'm try, trying to, to work this over to, to help bring, bring some of you folks into this. But you all know the story I told you, you know, but I had the problem with the hip. And what was going on. And I was told, in, in my spirit, no more running. For, for, for a while. And so I had to pull up the bike. And I'm biking. I like biking, but I love running. You know, it's, it's, it's like, I like vegetables, but I love meat. You know, no amount of vegetables is going to take the place of a nice steak. <laughs> it's, it's that kind of a, that kind of a thing. And so, but, but I stayed with it and I followed after it. And I told you some of the things that are going on in that. And, uh, you know, the doctor said, you're not going to, you're not going to run. Don't, don't try it anymore. You're done. You need to, you need to quit. And uh, Brother Charlie got up one time. He had that, that word to share with me. He said, no, you're going to run again. And I believed it already. I was already hanging on to that. I wasn't listening to what the... I wasn't hearing that part. But you see, 
You can't just bust on through and say, I am the righteousness of God in Christ and I'm going to get out of there and by golly, I'm going to run. Because something got hurt. So I'm listening to the Spirit of God, what I'm supposed to do. And so I'm doing these particular things. And so I told you the story, you know, we got back and we were running again. And I was doing all right. But you see, I had a blueprint. God gave me a blueprint on this. And I went against it just slightly. Had a little aching moment. Haven't told you about that one yet. But you see, I had a blueprint. And so I think I shared some of that. I don't tell you as a blueprint. I don't tell you as restrictions. I just tell you I was okay. I was cleared to to run up to two miles and I ran 1.99. Hit it right, right there. Then I, I, and then two and a half and then three. Well, I eventually got the point and this is what it was. I was following my spirit. I was cleared to run five to six miles a day. I mean, that's peanuts for, for, it's, it's, it's not a big deal, but it's something. I was glad that it was at least something. Five to six miles a day. And you all know my running buddy. I talk about him a bunch. And um, he was so helpful and patient with me while I was not running. He's still running. He got his bike out. He dusted it off. He he fixed it all up so he could go ride with me while I'm riding. And so we went out there and we were doing some riding. And um, he 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 doesn't like riding either. <laughs> he just he just go out there and ride just so you know I would I would uh, have somebody to push me along the that line and. And when I eventually got to running again, he was so glad. You know, I was glad we were able to run together and, and stuff. And so I'm running five to six miles. And then, and then John would say, "You feel like going? Se- you feel like going seven? I do. <laughs> I'd go a little bit further. And um, we, I only did it a couple of times. I, I stretched out a little bit further, but you see, it started to come back. And uh, we were away on vacation in, in August. It was so painful." I ran one time, two miles, and didn't enjoy a bit of it. It hurt the whole way. And, you know, I had, we had the whole bout with pneumonia and all that other stuff that came on, came on back. And, and so we got a couple of weeks rest, and we got on back in there. And so now I'm running and going with John. John, he, he said to me, feel like doing a little more? I said, no. <laughs> he said, okay. So I told him, I, I let him in. I said, look, my restriction is five to six miles. He's a born-again believer. I can talk to him about these things. This is what God told me to do, five to six miles. Well, he was having trouble with his knee. And he said, all right, I'm going to, I'll just run with you. And he, was, wasn't, he didn't tackle anymore. And he came back to me and says, you know what? My knee's been doing better since I've been <laughs> staying with that. Well, he got, got better all the way. Now he's out there with some 11 and 14 mile runs and stuff like that. But you see, I've got the blueprint. And here's the full blueprint. I haven't given anybody the, the full blueprint on this. It's, it's just something I know. I just, I just operate. I don't really think of it in a way that, you know, I need to, Tell everybody about it. I don't tell really anybody about the whole thing. But I'll tell you just so that you know to listen for this sort of stuff. Five to six miles a day, five days a week with some cycling. That's pretty simple, isn't it? Now, that's not, that's, that's a lot less miles. I've, I've already done the, the math and figured it all out. If I follow that plan, I'm only going to get about 1,300 miles in a year. But 1,300 miles, more miles than I was running the year before. So we stay with it. Five to six miles. That's per run. Five days a week. Keep the cycling. Now, see, I'm having a hard time with the cycling part. <laughs> but I gotta keep working that in. Cause that's part of the blueprint. And so sometimes I have to force myself, get out there on the bike, and just, uh, ride. I don't wanna be here. I wanna have my, <laughs> my running shoes on and go. But you see, he'll give you the blueprint. He'll give you the thing to do. Now, I don't know that this is permanent, or that this is forever. It may be that he may eventually say, all right, go go to seven or eight. 
but I have to listen to my spirit on it. I have to follow that because you see, obedience is a big part. You look at the people that were healed in the Word of God. And of course, their healing came very, very quickly. But still, they had to do things that they had to obey. Rise, take up your bed and walk. There was an obedience call in that. Go wash in the pool. There was an obedience call. Constantly, there's, there's things that they had to do. Go show yourself to the priest. There was something to do on obedience. Now, I, I say all this to let you know how many of you have been, God has said, in order for you to overcome whatever it is that you over, need to overcome in your life, and he's giving you something to change in your diet. And you have changed it for a week. And then all of a sudden, there's this thing on the... the I'm not talking about a good idea. I'm talking about that God told you in your spirit, this is what you need to do. Because He knows your body. Well, I don't want to do it that way. I want Him just to, you know, call upon the name of His God and wave His arm and... <laughs> you all know that story. We have an idea what I, I want God to do. But that's not always the, the way that it goes. He'll call, do some things to, to call on you for obedience. And, and, uh, when I was going through early part on this, I think I probably shared it maybe once. It wasn't a big deal. But, um, I read, I didn't hear it in my spirit. I read, you know, gluten can sometimes cause some of the problems I was having. So I said, all right, I'll, I'll wipe out gluten. That's no big deal. And so we, we did that. My wife says, <laughs> she said, well, just let me know you're doing these things. <laughs> I'll work. I just not eating bread or, you know, just staying away from different stuff, stayed away from pizza and other stuff like that. It had absolutely no effect on me at all. So I just went back to eating gluten. So I didn't get that in my spirit. I got that as a good idea to do. Sometimes you'll get a good idea to do. That's not the blueprint. But when God came and He told me, rest it, then I had to rest it. If I don't, I'm going against Him. When he says, two miles, two miles, that's it. Now, he tells me five to six. There are some days I'm at 5.1, and there was one run I came in, 6.00. I'm there. (laughs) I didn't go over it. But you see, I'm conscious of it each time I go out. Each time I go out, I'm going over it. Five to six miles. I say that to myself all the time. Five to six miles. Five days a week with some cycling. And I just keep going over it. That's the blueprint. What's your blueprint? You see, God has given you a blueprint for whatever it is that you want to do. Whether it's something in the area of ministry, whether it's something in the area of healing in your body, whether it's something in the the, uh, area of relationships or... um, uh, finances or whatever it might be, God will give you a plan. Here's the plan. Now, He may have the plan. You may not get it because you're not asking Him for it. But if He asks Him for it, if He comes, He'll give you a blueprint, just like He did for Jericho. What's the blueprint for Jericho? Men of war, priest, ark, march around the city, one time. Six days. Seventh day, seven times. And then shout. And then once the walls come down, we have other instructions. If it breathes, kill it. If it burns, burn it. And if it's valuable, give it to God. 
And that's all I had to do. That's all I had to follow. But when they didn't follow it, what happened? Came up short the next time. And what has God told you to do? Now, sometimes God has told you, you're doing too much, rest. Okay, I'll do that next week. Sometimes God has said, look, you need to have more time in the Word. This is what I want you to do. I want you to get up an hour earlier. I want you to spend this much time reading the Word and then this much time in prayer. And He may, He doesn't, He's not unreasonable. He may just tell you, you know, half hour, 45 minutes, an hour, something like that. Whatever it is that He tells you. And you're thinking, get up early. I may just love that idea. I mean, you're already getting up as early as you need to get, you know, whether, if you're getting up at six, well, five is not early. If you're getting up at five, four is not early. If you're getting up at four, three is not early. It, it can be relative, but he, he tells you, get up early. Now, if he tells you to get up early, what's that empower you to do? Get up early. But what's the enemy wants to do? When you wake up, I'm just going to say that your time to get up in the morning is 5 a.m., and so you're going to get up at four. You get up at four. How many of your bodies are saying, oh, we've been waiting for this? Oh, we're so excited. No. But what's the blueprint God gave you? Get up early. This much in the Word. This much prayer. Whatever the thing was. And then you get on your day. But you see, if you follow it, the rest of your day will go better. And even though you may battle some tiredness in the morning, you get yourself up and you get out there and you do it. And you're going to find out, wow, this, this worked out all right. This, this worked good. You see, you get amongst the world. The world says if you want to, to meet somebody, to date, to marry, go to the bars. That's not what God would be saying, but that's what some people will say. You can't listen to the world's advice. The world will be telling you all kinds of things you got to do for your health. What you have to do, you got to listen to God. What's God telling you to do? God may tell you to, to do certain things in the area of food. To not do some things in the area of food or to do some things in the area of food. Don't be wanting us to figure it all out all the time. How many of y'all like it when the little kids, you know, you tell them to do something and the questions they ask? Why? And then you tell them why? What do they say? Why? And if you answer that why, then what do they come up with then next? Why? Why? How many of you enjoy that? You would much prefer that if you told them to do something, they'd just obey it. Don't you think your Heavenly Father does too? You see, with the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire, if God says to move, you move. If God doesn't say to move, you stay. But if God is saying to move, guess what the enemy is saying? Stay. If God's saying to stay, guess what the enemy is saying? If God's saying to rest, guess what the enemy is saying? And he's going to give you the urgency of what you've got to do. If God says, you're resting too much, get a move on, what's the enemy saying? No, 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 no. Just, just relax. Come on, just... Whatever God is going to tell you to do, the enemy is going to tell you to do the difference. The opposite. Because he wants you to go in a different direction than God wants. He wants you to get outside the boundaries that God has set for you. 
Because he knows that inside the boundaries that God has set for you, he can't defeat you. But if he can get you outside the boundaries, he can defeat you. The number of stories that demonstrate this principle are, are so many. I mean, they just start whirling through my head on, on all this, but they're all over in the Word of God. But too many Christians, I am free in Christ. You're free to do what He says. You're free to obey Him. Now, just because I got the, in, in my spirit, just because I got in my spirit five to six miles five days a week doesn't mean you need to go out there and do it. Because that's not your direction. That may kill you. <laughs> it may not, you know. But God may tell you to do something and whatever it is that He tells you to do, that's for you to do. If He tells you to go out there and to, to walk a mile or to go out to the gym and start lifting weights, or to go out and, and pick up whatever program it is. Whatever he says in your spirit, just know there will be excuses. Will you follow what God said or will you follow the excuses? If God has told you to go and to do something, yeah, I, do, I, do, I want to make sure I didn't, didn't forget this. Sometimes the ministry that God has given us to do is a border. I want you to operate within this realm and the enemy does this so often. I see this happening so often with people. They're not content to operate in the area of ministry that God has given them. And they keep trying to operate out here and out here and out here. And God says, I need you to operate here. You see, when you operate within that area that He's given you to operate, you'll learn stuff. He'll prepare you and then lead you out over into here. But the enemy wants to get you out there early. I'll give you one example because we're not going to get into the story, I know. But I'll give you one example of, of this and how it messed somebody up. God called Moses to the ministry of a deliverer. And when he began to hear this, this calling, he ventured out to see what his brethren were doing. And he ventured out to do something within what he thought was his calling but was outside of his borders. And he killed a man. And he was chased from the land. And he ran from his calling. And he was delayed 40 years from becoming a deliverer. Now if you go through the Word of God and you add it all up, you will find out that he was 10 years too early. He was exactly 10 years too early. From the time that he saw that, he had 10 years of development to do and then God would have done whatever it was he was going to do in 10 years. But he delayed the plan of God by 30 because Israel was supposed to be in the land of Egypt for 400 years. They were there for 430. He stepped out at 390. He said the enemy enticed him. And then when it didn't work, he became discouraged, ran away and said, I'm not going to do that. And even when God called him at a burning bush, he said, no. Because that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to get you to step out in areas that God has for you too early. To not focus on what you're supposed to do right now to get the development that you need. And he's always telling you, you can do more. 
you can do better. It'll get you unsatisfied with where you are to push you to go further. Wherever it is that God wants you, the devil wants you out of it. God wants you to stay. He wants you to move. God wants you to move. He wants you to stay. That's why we started off with the pillar story. I want you to see that sometimes God's borders move. But then other times they're stationary. But if you will find out what your borders are, what the blueprint is, and you operate within that frame, you'll be developed, you'll be made ready, and God will move you into the next section. But God is incredibly patient. If we don't get it, He don't move us forward. He never gets to the spot and says, well, you know what? They've been at this for a long time. Let's just move on. Let's just go on to the next. He doesn't do it. He is incredibly patient. He'll let you die in that state then move you on before you're ready. He won't do it. But if you stay, if you know what your blueprint is, and you can have a blueprint for your health, you can have a blueprint for your finances, you can have a blueprint for all kinds of stuff that He's given you, and you follow it. And you do that. I've told you some of the blueprints we've had. We have a blueprint on the teaching. I've told you about that a number of different times, what the teaching will contain. And we've stayed with that all the years that we've, we've been here. We have a blueprint for Wednesday nights and, and Sunday mornings. And I've always, I've not veered off of that blueprint. I know exactly how I'm supposed to have Wednesdays go and exactly how I'm supposed to have Sundays go. And we stay within that blueprint. If God tells me to do something different, then I'll follow it. He hasn't told me to do anything different. I don't keep going and asking him. I said, God, you want to do something different now? If he wants to do anything different, he'll tell me. But you see, if you will find out the road to healing your body, your finances, your ministry, whatever it is that you're doing, you will hear, he has a blueprint for you. And he'll tell you what to do. And he'll tell you how to follow it. Would you all stand up with me? The enemy is always going to tell you that your God doesn't care. He's going to tell you things that you're on this on your own. That the reason that the answer hasn't come is because somebody else was deficient or something else isn't right. But God loves you. God has outlined a plan for how whatever it is that is hindering your body can get fixed. He's got a way of helping you out with it. You've got to listen to him. Do as he says. Would you all bow your head with me? If you're here today and you say, God has given me a blueprint and I haven't stayed with it. Or I did like Pastor Steve did. I had an aching moment and I, I started going a little beyond it. Raise your hand up. Say, hey, I, I want prayer for me today. Father, you see... You see where we are. You see our hearts. You see what it is that we have gone through. What it is we are going through. But as you have given us a blueprint. A way for us to go. The walled cities that are in our midst. Will come down. We can come upon 
a city like Jericho. And we hear the words from Jesus. See, I've given it to you. We don't have to see anything natural. We just have to know. God has given it to me. I thank you, Father, that each person here, if they don't have a blueprint, if they don't have a way to go, that you are taking them. I thank you that you give it to them. Just like the woman with the issue of blood who had floundered around for many years with a condition. But then when she heard about Jesus, a blueprint rose up on the inside of her to where she said, I know if I just touch the hem of his garment, I shall be healed. And she set about to bring that a have that go on in her life. Father, I thank you those blueprints, they rise up in our spirit. It's not something that we figure out. It's not a good idea we hear. It's something that just comes up in our spirit. Do this. And once it comes, there will be all kinds of excuses. There will be all kinds of ways, all kinds of things that we can do other than it. But help us, Father, to keep it simple. Write it out in front of us. That we will do it. Because you want to lead us in a way to which we have the things that we haven't achieved just yet. I thank you that you do that. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Sister Marguerite. Good morning, everyone. It's always such a joy to hear that good morning from you and to um, just get this time to uh, speak a few words with you. Uh, we we reserve this time for uh, praise reports and um, prayer requests, and those are so important. That's why we um, make sure that we get this in the service. Um, today, as um, each Sunday that we're here, we learn so much. Um, for myself, I'm thinking uh, blueprints, boundaries, and obedience. So uh, we have um, an avenue that we can go back and listen to the service again and the teaching again. And I just uh, just ask that you just make some time in your week that you go and try to listen to it again because you pick up different things um, that you heard this morning, but certain things will be ignited in your spirit. So um, it would be wonderful if we could do that. Um, your bulletin has a lot of good things in it that we're doing in the uh, coming weeks, especially coming up to Christmas. I'm not going to read it, but I just want to um, just bring a couple things to your uh, attention. We're going to have church caroling. This uh, coming Friday, well, not this Friday, but um, I think it's going to be two Fridays from now. It's going to be December 20th at 7 p.m. It sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun, and it's going to be a good time of fellowship, and then we'll return back to the church. So we ask you to enjoy that with us. It'll be my first time caroling, so this should be fun. Um, then we're going to have Christmas Eve service on Tuesday, December 24th at 6 p.m. Uh, so, again, just 
consult your bulletins and you'll find a lot of good things in it that um, are being prepared for all of us. And also there's a saying in uh, the bulletin, there's an attitude of faith that makes it possible to live in the midst of trouble without being troubled. And that um, that's huge. Uh, we have a praise report from Sister Connie. She's saying that her, she's praising God that her brother is doing better. He's uh, been, he's in the hospital. He's been battling some issues and they have uh, reduced his oxygen a little and gave him some yogurt to eat this morning. Anytime you're able to eat after a, a, a series of battling something, that's a good sign. Um, he may be able to come home by Wednesday. So we thank God with him. We praise God for this uh, healing. And I know that um, different ones know about it. And we just, we are so uh, grateful that we can join in as a family and something occurs that we can feel that we can come to one another and say, you know, this is going on in my life. This is going on in my family. And would you just stand with me? And um, as we do that, life will afford each of us a time that we would need that support. And I can honestly say that here at Zoe, they're so, we're just so glad to be able to do that, to just enter into each other's lives and encourage each other. So um, I wanted to say have a wonderful rest of your day and um, enjoy the rest of your week. God bless you.